0: Have you ever wanted to raise your hand and ask a question during the Sunday morning sermon? Are you looking for a place to find real hope? Join us on the Real Life Living in the Here and Now podcast as we tackle life's most unwelcome questions and learn to live free and real. Each week we take on a subject that cuts through the hype and deals with the hurt and brokenness everyone has but doesn't know where to begin. And now let's join your host, Joe Farmer, as he gets real with himself, with God, and with you. Welcome to another episode of uh, Real Life, Living in the Here and Now. This is your host, Joe Farmer. Got a new friend and a good friend here with me today, Cliff... Branham, the uh founder and executive director of Springs of Life Ministries in Jellicoe, Tennessee. Uh Cliff, thanks for coming on, brother.
1: Hey Joe, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh man, it's, it's
0: we've had a blast and uh you know, we just met, I guess, a week ago and uh I've just had an amazing connection with you and uh I feel like God's put us together. Yeah for something and that should probably scare uh, most everyone out there. <laughs> so, um God only knows what's gonna happen from here. But but I'm really excited uh, about our friendship and our yeah, going forward, man. And uh I, I, I'm really um um impressed by by what you're doing in Jellco and how God has has used you and uh Springs of Life to reach your community. If you don't mind, could you just take a minute yeah. and Tell us why Springs of Life, uh, how how you founded that, and what the purpose is behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, there's a little bit of a backstory uh, to kind of get there. So uh, I grew up in Jellicoe, third generation Campbell County, and um, my mother and father divorced uh, when I was born. My mother had me when she was 40 years old. And so I was born into situational poverty, if you right, will, right. and uh, and so I got into a lot of trouble growing up, and uh, started smoking marijuana at the age of fourteen, and then got into, progressed into the opioids, cocaine, alcohol in my late teens and, and early early twenties, uh, and so I had uh, an extensive experience with addiction myself. Sixteen years of uh, of, of actively using. Some type of substance, and right. um, there was some um, uh, obviously some childhood trauma uh, that was there growing up uh, in, in a in a uh, situational you know uh, poverty situation there was uh, some sexual abuse that happened when I was uh five years old uh, Some of that stuff had been repressed there was just a lot of lot of trauma there in my in my younger years and so uh, like most people from that area that kinda grow up in a common situation that I experienced, drugs and alcohol was just normal. It was just what we did. And so um, fast forwarding, I was 29 years old. I've got warrants in Tennessee, warrants in Kentucky. My driver's license is suspended. I'm $2,700 behind in child support. My daughter is in the second grade and and, uh, her mother, they moved to Orlando, Florida, so I hadn't seen her in months. My whole world had fallen apart, and uh, 20, 29 years old at this time, so uh, uh, 16 years or so of just you know running rapid, using drugs, uh, abusing relationships, squandering opportunities, you know the, pretty much the same old song and dance that, exactly. that most of us can relate with, that have experienced that type of a, of a lifestyle. So at 29, I finally got to the point where um, I, I found myself on my knees and I cried out to God, and I said, "You know, if, if you're there." Uh, If you'll have me, Uh, I've made a a mess of my entire life and I've squandered everything that I have. And, you know, really at that age, I had begun, I guess I had begun to, to embrace and accept the fact that I was going to be a drug addict the rest of my life. Now, early on in life, I never believed that about myself. There was always this hope, always this glimmer that. I can change at some point, and I, I'm not going to end up like this. Right. But at 29, I remember looking at myself in the mirror at my mother's home because I was living with my mother still at 29, and uh, and I I had that moment of realization, that moment of clarity, as my mother called it, that man, I'm a loser. I'm living with my mother. I'm strung out on dope. My daughter lives, in, you know, in Florida. I'm a deadbeat dad, and and I mean it. It shook my world. And uh, so, when I finally got to that point of surrender and I began to cry out to God for his help, it was it was uh it was almost as if he met me immediately. Now the the skies didn't crack open and, and the heavens come down, but I knew that uh that God God was listening, He was there and I felt prompted to get into the scriptures and begin to read and begin to spend time in prayer. And so I did.
0: Well you said now, something key there, Cliff. Yeah. You said surrender. Yeah. You know, and that that's when our relationship with God begins. That's when life begins. Absolutely. It's, you know, the world is totally opposite of that. You know, Jesus said, though, be first, you've got to be last. And if you're last, you'll be first. And give and you'll receive. So yeah. when you give up, you know, and I, I think and I, that you've heard that. I know you've yeah. heard that many times. But when you made that decision in your heart, yeah. you know, that's what set you on this path, I'm yeah. sure.
1: Joe, you know, really, one of the ways I, I tend to look at it is I had played God. Right. Uh, I had been sitting in his rightful throne over my life and and I had the only fruit that he had produced was brokenness and destruction and turmoil, depression anxiety uh and addiction and so uh, at that point, what do you have to surrender really right right and it, and it was really just my will, giving up my will to be in control. And when I gave that will over, and uh, and obviously we always battle with that, right? That's an ongoing process Absolutely. of surrender. Um, but that initial moment of surrender, and, and I believe God met me where I was at and began to take me into Scripture. As I was reading Scripture and spending time in prayer and really just being open with God and having conversations like we're having right now, I would just speak to Him, open my heart up, talk about whatever was on my mind. Uh, God began to address those things I was saying through his word and eventually what happened after about a year's time I ended up in a little small Bible study with four guys one was a pastor and uh, we decided in that in that little Bible study that we were going to go out into the community and try to just tell people about Jesus We, we were not going to invite them to church um, we wasn't going to try to invite them to our Bible study. We were going to go out and meet them where they were at. Right. And uh, the church that I was attending at that time had a building fund, and they were trying to pay for that. And so the women would donate their time to cook hot dogs, and they would sell those at lunchtime. So those four men in that Bible study, we would put our money together, buy a bunch of hot dogs, ride around Jellicoe, and just hand them out to people. And that, that was the best you know we could do. Yeah. And, uh, and That's we would awesome. Try though, to, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great experience, and God was— crafting something and cultivating something in me at that time um what happened is i i began to build a little bit of a reputation for someone that could maybe help you and so over the course of about nine months i i became very familiar with different people in the community that had housing issues health issues needing food whatever the, the case may be there was a particular family that I had uh, invited to church with me a few times. I'd given them clothing and food that were homeless, They were IV drug users. And um, I'd visited with them, like I said, quite often. And on this particular day that I went to visit them, they had their grandchildren there. So there was four grandchildren that were homeless with their grandparents. The place they were staying, uh, I was very familiar with because I used to buy drugs there. Uh, it was an old garage that they sold pot and pills out of, and the guy had died. He passed away, and they squatted in that in that little garage. Right. And it was r- literally a concrete pad and a, and a tin roof with some, you know, That's 4 terrible. by 4s or something right. holding it up. The kids uh, are barefooted, and they're running around. They're washing their clothes in the creek, and there's paraphernalia kind of melted uh, in an old campfire from the night before. You could see some of the old syringes and stuff, and there was a little girl. And her name was Crystal. Um, she was about three and a half, maybe four years old tops. And Crystal was the f- first to approach me of the children. And I had a cooler, and it had a lot of soda and ice in it. And she reached her little arm down in, in that cooler, and when she pulled it out, I just seen the the dirt just feel run off her, her arm. Gosh. And her, she was big, bright eyes, and you know, smiling up at me, and just as happy as she could be. She didn't know she was, you know, poor. I, I suppose, and. Um, god really used that little girl that day to to grab a hold of me in a way that i'd never been uh, really touched before Um, i was a single dad at that time that's another story but i was a single father i went home that evening um, and my little girl was was tucked away safe asleep downstairs and i was upstairs in, in my bedroom reading my bible and uh it began to rain outside and it started to pour and I started to think about Crystal. My my thoughts kind of wandered to, you know, where, what what is she doing right now in this mm-hmm. storm? And eventually, I ended up in the floor. I was sobbing uh, like a baby, and I basically just cried out and said, "God, if you can show me how to meet the needs uh, uh, like this, you know, uh, the needs that I'm seeing in the community, I don't know how to do it. I, I I don't know how to give people what they need. I'm doing the best I can, but if you'll help me, if you'll show me, I'll I'll do whatever you ask of me." And that was where the journey started. It was that night. um, Again, I believe God met me where I was at, heard my prayer, and and took me on a journey uh, that eventually led to the the opening of Springs of Life a year later.
0: Well, you know, Cliff, people will say, you know, any good business or any invention uh, that's successful meets a need or improves on something. And that's no different with ministries. You know, I'm surprised a lot of times it's like uh, we create. Uh, outreaches and ministries for people that don't even live in our communities. Yeah, you know we're we're doing things just because we we've always done them. But anything that's effective, that's after the heart of God, is born out of of, of an encounter like that, out, yeah. of a, out of meeting a real need in somebody's life, like Crystal. So, tell me, um, you know, after having this, you know, this moment with with God and yeah. crying out to Him, um, you know, what did you do? Because you get this question a lot i get this question a lot too yeah. people come in and they see maybe something you've built or something you've done and they want to know well, well how did you do that and, and and you know i think it's important that we tell the story you Absolutely. know the story behind yeah. behind what we've done so what is the story yeah. of springs of life how how did that happen
1: yeah yeah that's no, a great question so we had no idea what we were doing right Really, my heart was broken for this little girl. God used the little girl to really get a hold of me, but I, I had no idea you know, how to start. Uh, I approached several men in our community that had a reputation for caring about the community, and they were already involved in helping people that maybe fit into that population. So one guy uh, was a CEO of our local bank and he had two children that had a, a history with heroin addiction. There was another gentleman who worked with CR and he was the CR ministry leader for about 10 years. And then another individual Um, that worked for the railroad, and and he had a remarkable testimony about being delivered from addiction and never had DTs or any of that, and and he was someone who was pretty well known in the community for just reaching out and and doing that type of work in the street. So I approached those guys. I told them, um, you know, kind of my story, what happened with Crystal. Uh, I felt that God was calling me to to do something in the community, and would they come alongside of me? For them, that was a big risk at that time, because I'd only been really clean myself for probably going on a year and a half, two years at this time. Uh, I was still very young and, and early in my walk, um, but they took a chance, and, uh, awesome. and and they were willing to sit down with me, and we had some community meetings. So that's kind of how we started. It was just. Engaging the community and, and seeing how they felt about the right, issues. Right. Um, a lot of people had a lot to say. Sure. Some good, some bad, as you could imagine. Right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stigma and a lot of confusion, you know, kind of around addiction and and what causes addiction, what uh, sustains it. You know, how do we how do we help? And and we were all pretty ignorant to the process at first. We thought maybe we're going to do a homeless shelter. We didn't really know what was going on. Uh, long story short, I stumbled upon a men's recovery program. It was in Tennessee and when I seen the program in action, I knew immediately uh, this is what we got to do we've got to create services for men now, the reason we landed on men as we you know I, we didn't go into extensive research when i but we educated ourselves on you know some of the things like teenage pregnancy, high school dropouts, homelessness, sex trafficking, and as we began to educate ourselves on some of those things. There was a common denominator, and it was father absent homes. So we landed on the idea that if we can help the men of our community be restored, we call them the protectors of life, Uh, those that are in authority are called to be in protection. And so we thought, well, if we can help these men uh, get their lives restored, and we can help them come into um, a a loving relationship with God, and and there can be restoration, there can be restoration to the family, there can be restoration to the children and to the the marriage. And so that's why we started with with men. it was a very uh organic process what i mean by that is uh, i had no staff i had no funding i had no building i just had you know three other guys four other guys that said hey let's let's see if, if this is god's will and let's try to walk this out so um i i worked at another program for a couple of months um, kind of training in some ways right. probably learning more of what not to do exactly. than, than what to which do, which
0: is just as important as knowing what to do. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, I'd rather learn it beforehand. You yeah, know,
0: I could write a book on uh, and probably have several follow-up volumes on what not to do, <laughs> yeah. Joe Farmer. You know?
1: Yeah, so we, um, you know, we it, it took a little time. I, I think it was probably after we had our initial community meeting. We were probably about a year before we actually launched. At that time, the only model that I was seeing was people that were fundraising and they right. would set up tables at walmart and sell merchandise and kind of use that to fund the ministry and and uh and not to say that there's anything necessarily wrong with that but i didn't think or i didn't believe that god was necessarily calling us to that model but we didn't have any other model to go by um so basically i had a conversation with my wife or she's now my wife at that time she was not uh just my girlfriend but i she and i were talking and i said you know this is really you know, God's work, if God's calling us to do this, which means that God sees the need and He wants to address the need through us, would He not sustain it and provide for it financially? Amen. Um, you know, I think you said to me one time, if it's His will, it's His bill. Sure. And so um, I, the next day, literally the next day, I had two donations, both for $5,000 apiece. piece. Which blew, my, you know, blew me away because at this point I'm, I'm trying to sell T-shirts and trinkets for you know $5 and $10 a piece. Right. And, um, and, and so I, it, I thought at that point that God was saying to me, yes, I will provide, I will sustain. And, uh, and so from that point on, I kind of changed my direction and, and started focusing on really spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word and continuing to just try to meet needs in the community. And what was really strange, and I won't get too deep into this, there was another ministry. And it was a ministry that I necessarily wasn't crazy about. And I had that $10,000 that I thought was going to be seed capital for springs of life. And then one day in prayer, um, I just felt impressed that the Lord wanted me to give that money to that other ministry. Wow. And and that was a bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah.
0: uh, you know, uh, God was testing your heart. He was. You know, I, I remember the Lord spoke to me once... Um, we were we were leaving on vacation. God spoke to me before. He said, "You're going to be tested in your finances, but if you pass, I'll promote you." Mm. And boy, yeah. boy where we tested. And, and I, I think a couple of things from that, God wanted to uh, show me that that He was my source yeah. for everything, yeah. uh, even financially. And then He wanted to know that He could trust me yeah. with money, you know, and. Yeah sounds uh you know similar to what you know what you're explaining there and and because yeah. god knew th- there would be much more absolutely finances coming through you know that yeah. that you know if he could trust you with ten thousand he could trust you with a million
1: yeah it, it was you know for me i had to know almost for myself as well that i would do what he says to do right. whether i agree with it whether right. i like it it makes sense to me or not just submit and obey to him. And, and see, I had a hard time with that in the beginning, not, not necessarily once I was saved, but before I was saved, I struggled a lot with faith. Right. I wanted God to always explain to me or show me or prove to me why you know, I should give him my trust or, or, or my faith. And so there was a transition that happened through this process of Springs of Life, you know, the inception and the birth of Springs of Life, where I got to a point where I quit questioning God. I mean, he doesn't owe me an explanation right. i learned to just do what he says to do and so uh and he's faithful you know he's always faithful so gave the money away and gave it to the other the other ministry and uh and lo and behold i and and i'm not saying listen I, i'm not uh, prosperity gospel over here okay i'm not saying you give ten thousand dollars away and you're going to get twenty thousand back but that's literally what happened to me right. i gave ten thousand dollars away I can't remember the exact time frame. I'm thinking it was within a month's period, though. I got four checks, each for $5,000 apiece. So I had $20,000 to start the ministry with. Um, Around that exact same time, there was a community church in Jellicoe that was uh, merging with another body. They were going to bring those two churches together, and it was going to create uh, an opportunity for us to use that facility. And they approached me and said, hey, we've got this church. We'll lease it to you for a dollar a year, and you can do the ministry that you're wanting to do here in in that building. So it ended up being just myself, the building, and the 20 grand. And uh, we kind of started there, and I got the University of the Cumberlands, if you guys are familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah, they had X and uh, X came down and, and helped us do some renovations basically, just demo stuff. Right. We tore out all the old tile and did some painting and things like that on the building. And it was just me working in the building for about the first four months by myself. Uh, and then God began to um, compel men's hearts to join me in the work, and I, I eventually ended up with three other guys that were uh, one of those, Whether it was an RA for the University of the Cumberlands. Another gentleman left his job at the railroad, had been with him for 10 years, to come on board with me. And then there was a, uh, another young man who was actually in recovery himself that I'd been discipling, that joined me. And we spent about nine months uh, in that building praying for literally hours a day, reading our Bibles, and working on the building. Man, and awesome. nine months later, we, we eventually opened the doors and began to bring in men. Man, um, that, yeah,
0: That's a great place to stop. And if you don't want, you mind sticking around and doing another one? Absolutely. All right, that's a great place to start. And tomorrow, uh, we hope you can stick around. And as we get into kind of, uh, this is a very interesting story, but kind of the... the um, where springs of life is now and where it's heading and, and yeah. what god is doing it there and we we appreciate everybody listening to real life living in the here and now and uh, hopefully you can tune back in to our next episode but until then keep it real thank you for joining the real life podcast you can subscribe to our program anywhere podcasts are available stay up to date by subscribing to our show join us next week as we tackle real life together